One of the things that's good is that we know what we believe. There's lots of uh, teaching uh, that's going around that's uh, uh, weird, isn't right on, and it's just a ton of it. And because of the internet, because of uh, podcasts, it's easy to have access to it. And a lot of it is just off enough so that you don't hardly realize you're listening to something that's not uh, true. And so we're going to talk about one of those tonight in the uh, letters that Paul writes. He is dealing with every letter with false teaching. When the first ch- church first started, there was lots of it going around. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, as we go through the book, I want you to know. So he's in prison, and he writes to this church, Colossae, I want you to know what a great struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument that no one will delude you with persuasive argument, for even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline, the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed in overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, an empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And so, uh, in this letter, he's dealing with false teachers. In every letter he writes, every church that he writes to, that's one of the topics. Sometimes it's the only topic, really. It's the main topic. The book of Galatians, from beginning to end, that's the theme of the book, are false teachers. So in your notes, number one, in almost every letter Paul wrote, one of the major themes or reasons for writing the letter was to deal with false teaching that had invaded the church. So part of the problem in the early church was they didn't have the, uh, what we would call the canon of Scripture. If, if you stand up to preach and say, would everybody turn to the book of Matthew? Well, it's, uh, it was letters written around, and there were some here, some there, that the Old Testament, but the church built on the life and death and burial and resurrection of Christ, that which Paul and others wrote about. And so many other people began to write letters as well as Paul. There were letters from Thomas and Bartholomew and uh, a number of different individuals. Most of them weren't uh, the real person, but people just kind of get off on writing letters to churches and, and um, saying things that aren't true. And so there's a bunch of stuff running, running around during Paul's time. Philippians 3.2, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. And so Paul's using some strong words for these dudes. Romans 16, now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. 1 Timothy 6.20, 
O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 1, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, a different gospel, for, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. 1 Timothy 4.1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. <clears throat> number two, and you know, it's probably the number one false teaching that Paul had to deal with was legalism or Judaizing, as it was called. You're saved by faith plus works. Now, it's fairly easy to see why this uh, was prevalent because the church began in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is a Jewish holiday. 3,000 people responded to Peter's sermon on Pentecost, all of whom were Jews. And so they were uh, Jews that had rejected Christ, but when Peter preached, they recognized the truth of who he was, the Messiah, and so they believed, they trusted, they committed their life to him. And so the first believers all over were, were Jews. They knew the Old Testament well, and they converted and became followers of Jesus Christ. Now, their entire life, they followed the Old Testament. Uh, they followed uh, all the, the various laws of, of cleansing and, and uh, ceremonies and worship. Read the book of Leviticus. That's what they lived. That was their, their book. That's what they did. And so when they become a believer in Jesus, they don't chuck that. That's still their life. That's what they do. But then along comes D. Duke, who's not a Jew, uh, and he gets saved. Well, those who are Jewish believers say, okay, you have to become like us in that you follow the Old Testament law. And if you don't, then you're not really a believer in Jesus. So that was very common. And they wanted Gentiles to become Jews in practice if they became a Christian because the first Christians were Jews and they'd practiced Jewish traditions and Jewish laws. And so that was uh, very, very common and Paul's all, with, all the time dealing with that. Colossians 2, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why is it? Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit to yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teaching of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And so that was a, a problem that Paul was always dealing with in the Jewish world where uh, Jewish believers telling Gentile believers that in order to be really be saved... They had to follow the law of Moses. Number three, during Paul's time, many taught that you had to follow the Old Testament law in order to be saved. Uh, 
Now, it's interesting. It's been 2,000-plus years since Paul wrote the book of Colossians and the book of Galatians, but this is still a very, very common false teaching around the world. Number four, a second and opposite problem that Paul faced was antinomianism. <laughs> if you can pronounce that correctly, I'll give you $10 after the service. You're saved by grace, so anything goes. And so you have over here, you're saved by grace plus works. Over here, you're saved by grace, and works don't matter a bit. You can do anything you like, anything you want. Five, God has made various covenants with His people over the years. So I'm going to uh, focus now a little bit on this first problem. And it's a teaching that I do periodically, and it's what you might call theological, in that we'll look at some, a number of verses, but it's pretty important that you understand exactly what you believe and why you believe it so that if someone comes along and says, by the way, uh, if, you know, the Old Testament says we need to worship on Saturday. And if you're not worshiping on Saturday, you're sinning. There's a whole bunch of that uh, that goes around along with other things. And so you need to understand why is that not true? So number five, God has made various covenants with His people over the years. Genesis 6, 18, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And so this covenant is called the Noah covenant. It was made with, uh, by God with Noah uh, before the flood and after the flood. Six, God's covenants were a combination of promises made and agreements between himself and his people. And so a covenant is agreement, a contract, where God would say, this is what I will do, and this is what I expect you to do. So there was this two-party, two-person agreement, and God was the initiator of these covenants. Genesis 9-11, I establish my covenant with you, and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood, neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. So that was God's promise uh, to those who got off the ark after the flood. Number seven, each of the various covenants that God made had a sign or symbol to remind people of the covenant. So, a wedding is a ceremony that has covenants. Uh, I said in our wedding, I will, I do. Patty said, I will, I do to a number of promises or vows. And so, by both saying, this is what I will do, we entered into what is called in the Bible a marriage covenant, and the sign or the symbol of that covenant were the rings that we exchanged. This was a symbol of the covenant that we made. So every covenant in the Bible has a sign or a symbol that God established as a reminder every time we see it of what the covenant stands for. Number seven, each of the various covenants that God made had a sign or symbol. I gave you that one. Genesis 9:12. God said, this is the sign. This is the sign of the covenant which I'm making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow, the rainbow, will be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. Never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. 
When the bow, the rainbow, is in the clouds, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So the Noah covenant had a sign. Number eight, each of the covenants had a set of laws that were the, were the people's side of the agreement made with God or their responsibility. And so uh, there's a special set of laws that applies to each of the covenants that God made with the people. And he said, here's what I will do, here's what I expect you will do. This is your responsibility to, in the, the agreement that we have together. And so the a covenant that God made with Adam, how long was their list? Short. Don't eat the fruit on that tree. That was it. Bottom line. I mean, they should have stuck with that covenant, not messed up, because it was pretty easy. Um, here's the one that God gave to Noah. It's not too long either. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast. I will require it from every man, from every man's brother. I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. So, only law that you will see written in the Bible that was given by God to Noah for the people that came off the ark was don't murder. That was it. Pretty short list. Number nine, the six covenants that have been made by God are the, the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic or Old covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the New covenant. And so as you go through the Bible, you'll see each of those covenants and the people that God uh, made them with. Number 10, each of the covenants had a human representative, the lawgiver, the one who received the laws from God and distributed them to the people. So, quick quiz. The Adamic covenant, who was the lawgiver? Easy. Adam. The Noahic covenant, who was the lawgiver? Noah. Pretty simple. The Abrahamic covenant, who was the lawgiver? Abraham. Wow, you guys are sharp. Uh, God gives the law to a particular individual who then gives it to the people in uh, living out the covenant. Number 11, God made a covenant with Abraham. And the promise was the land and descendants through Isaac. So he promises Abraham that he will have a son, and from his son all the nations of the world will be blessed, and they will have a particular piece of ground. Genesis 15, 18, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Lots of discussion and conflict about the land. But God's the one who gave it, and it is theirs because God gave it on the way and basis of a covenant. Genesis 17, I will establish my covenant between me and you. This is, he's talking to Abraham. I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I have made you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you. 
Kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you, to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, now as for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a sign, it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Number 12, the sign of the covenant made between God and Abraham was circumcision. So there were many during Paul's time that said that if you weren't circumcised as a male, then you weren't uh, in the family of God. And so they were taking a law from the Abrahamic covenant and pulling it forward into the new covenant. Genesis 17, 11, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a sign, a sign of the covenant between me and you. 13, God gave Abraham a set of laws to follow. Genesis 26, 4, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. I will give your descendants as these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So, this is important. Where are those laws that God just mentioned that Abraham was following? They're not in the Bible. You can look everywhere you want, but they're not in the Bible. Somebody will say, well, what about the Ten Commandments? No, 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 that's 400 plus years after. This is Abraham, not Moses. Abraham said, follow the laws, the commandments of God. But there is not a single one mentioned, not a single one written in the Bible. Uh, So why didn't God make sure that we had those? Because they weren't for us. Uh, They were part of the Abrahamic covenant. 14, there isn't a list of the laws, statutes, and commandments that God gave to Abraham recorded in Scripture. It's just stated that he obeyed them. We have no clue what they were other than circumcision. That's the only one. We don't know if there were 100, 600, 50. But whatever there were, Abraham obeyed them. Number 15, God made a covenant with the nation of Israel through Moses. God made a covenant with the nation of Israel through Moses. Exodus 24, 8. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And so God makes a covenant with the nation of Israel through Moses. 16, Moses was the one who received the law related to the covenant, and he is the one who gave the law to the people. Moses is even called the lawgiver uh, by, by the nation of Israel. Exodus 24, 7, then he took the book of the covenant, the book of the covenant, and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. The book of the covenant, 
What was that? That was the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy, where the law is written that, God, uh, that Moses received from God on Mount Sinai. Exodus 34, 27, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights, and he did not eat bread or drink water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are part of the covenant. Deuteronomy 4.13, so he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might perform them in the land where you are going over to possess it. <clears throat> 17, the sign of the covenant between God and Israel was the Sabbath. The Sabbath, which is Saturday. Exodus 31, 16. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generation as a perpetual covenant. So occasionally somebody will say to me, Pastor D, why don't, uh, why don't you worship on Saturday? I say, well, we do. I worship on Wednesday too. And I worship on Sunday. And sometimes I worship on Tuesday. But uh, aren't we supposed to worship on Saturday? No, that was for the Jews. I'm not a Jew. I'm 90% English. Uh, I've been to Israel, but I'm not a Jew. Uh, 18, a new covenant was promised by God for the first time by the prophet Jeremiah. So the Mosaic covenant in the New Testament is often called the Old Covenant as opposed to the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. A new covenant, not like the old covenant, the one that he made through Moses with the nation of Israel. 19, a sign or symbol for the new covenant is communion. So, if this were a theology class and you had to take a test in order to get a grade, a question would be, what was the symbol for the Adamic covenant, for the Noahic covenant, for the Abrahamic covenant, for the Old Covenant or the Mosaic covenant, and the New Covenant? And most of you now could say exactly what that symbol or sign was. So the one that's obvious is the rainbow because we see them regularly and that is the sign that God gives that he will never flood the world again. It's a promise that he made in the covenant. And so the Noahic covenant, the sign or the symbol was circumcision. The Mosaic covenant, the sign or the symbol was worshiping on Saturday. That's why they were so adamant, the Jews, about keeping the Sabbath is because it was a sign of the covenant. And our sign for the new covenant that we live in is communion. And we take communion approximately monthly and whenever we do. That's a symbol or a sign of the covenant that we believe in. Matthew 26, 26, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread. After blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant 
my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus and the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. So as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the symbol of the new covenant is communion. Number 20, the writer of the book of Hebrews reminds the Jewish believers that they are now under the new covenant, which is better than the old covenant. So just a question that you can probably figure out. Covenant was made between God and Abraham. And the law that God gave Abraham, don't eat the fruit off this tree. And then the people multiply, sin is bad, so God calls Noah and says build an ark, and his family goes on the ark, and the flood kills everybody, and they come off the ark, and he establishes a covenant with Noah and says, I establish the sign in the heaven, and here's this law that I'm giving you, be fruitful and multiply, and don't murder and so did they think, well, let's see, we've got to figure out what tree we're not supposed to eat fruit from. Right? Did they think that? No, that was to Abraham, I mean to Adam. Probably never entered their head. God never mentioned, never came up. By the way, you have to go back and pick that one up too. And so, uh, and then the same with the Abrahamic covenant. There's a new covenant, new set of laws. The Mosaic covenant, a new covenant, a new set of laws. And everybody understands that clearly. Hebrews 8, 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, speaking of the old covenant or Moses' covenant, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers. On the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. They shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant is made the first obsolete, the first, that's Moses' covenant, the Mosaic covenant or the old covenant. I've made it obsolete. Whatever is becoming obsolete is growing old, is ready to disappear. 21, Jesus is the human representative that received and gave the law of the new covenant. So you have the human representative of Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and Jesus, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, 
whom he appointed heir of all things, to whom also he made the world. 22, when the covenant changed, the statutes, rules, and laws changed as well. Now, that point right there would eliminate uh, legalism. When the covenant changed, the laws changed. Every covenant that had ever been made, the laws changed when the covenant was changed. Hebrews 7:11. Now, perfection was through the Levitical priesthood. For on the basis of it, the people received the law. What further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, and it was when Jesus became our high priest, when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of law also a change of law also. Hebrews 7, 18, for on the one hand there is a setting aside, setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God, a setting aside of the Mosaic law, the law of the old covenant. Galatians 4, 9, but now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. So Paul says, why are you going back to the old covenant laws? Romans 14, 5, one person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does, it so, for, does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. He who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. 23, some will teach that because today we are, not, we, are no, uh, we are now under the new covenant that there are no rules, statutes, and laws that our conscience is our law. Okay, before I get into that one, I just finished this block of teaching and verses basically that says Old Testament law, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we can make application from that. We can learn about God's character from that. We can learn a lot of things from that, but we are not under the law of the old covenant. We're not under the Mosaic law. And so somebody will say, well, aren't we supposed to obey the Ten Commandments? No. They're in the old covenant. Now, all the Ten Commandments are also in the new covenant. And in fact, somebody will say, well, we don't obey a law. Well, yeah, you do. You just have a different set. Abraham obeyed the ones God gave him. Moses obeyed the ones that he gave him. And we obey the ones that we have, which are in the New Testament, primarily in the epistles, the books that were written to the churches. That's us, believers, the body of Christ. So you read the book of Romans. Paul, in his letters, does theology first, then he does application or a series of commands. Romans is uh, 16 chapters. The first 12 chapters, 11 chapters are theology, deep theology. And then from chapter 12 to 16, there's commands, one right after the other. Ephesians, first three are theology. Four, five, and six are commands, one right after the other. Uh, Ephesians 5.25 most difficult command in the Bible. 
Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a command imperative. You won't find that one in the Old Testament. And so you have approximately 400 laws in the New Testament from Romans through Jude. If you look them all up and combine similar common ones. And so that's a lot. Uh, question is, do you know what they are? And are you faithfully following those rules that God has given to us? Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says this to his protege. If you're an athlete, you don't win the prize unless you compete according to the rules. And in life, you're not going to be blessed by God, used by God, unless you understand what the rules are. And the rules are not in Genesis. The rules are not in Leviticus. The rules are not in Daniel. The rules are in the epistles written to the church. That's us, the body of Christ. So let's move to the second problem in false teaching, which is very, very common today, 23. Some will teach that because today we are no, uh, now under the new covenant, there are no rules, statutes and laws, that our conscience is our law. And that is a rampant, prolific false teaching that is everywhere. And so they go to this extreme from legalism, that is you're saved by faith, plus you got to do all the Old Testament laws. And we go over to this side where we're saved by grace, plus nothing. So there are no rules. You can read in the New Testament, but they're just suggestions, and they might apply to you, they might not. And so basically, our rules are our own conscience. That's the teaching that goes around. Uh, Hebrews 8.10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. This is the passage they refer to. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. They shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen, everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, and the least to the greatest of them. So when they take that passage and make that an application for us today, there's a major problem with that, and that is that was written for the millennial kingdom period when Christ is on the earth ruling physically on the world, and we're ruling with him. That passage wasn't written for today. Another passage is often quoted, 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. Our adequacy is from God who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. The letter kills, the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because the glory of his face fading as it was. So those teachers today who will say, what's right for you may not be right for me. What's wrong for you may not be what's wrong for me. I am my own law. I decide for me. What's right? What's wrong? God has put in me uh, his law for my life. And so they will quote those various verses, and uh, it ends up in being absolute chaos and disunity. 24, the epistles are the source of the rules, laws, and principles for the church today.
So someone may say, well, don't you believe in the Old Testament? Certainly I believe in the Old Testament. You find out about God's character most in the Old Testament. But I read 14 chapters a day in my Bible. I read one chapter in Genesis through Malachi. It gets me through the Old Testament once in two years. I read one chapter in Proverbs. I read five chapters in Psalms, which are prayers and songs. I read two chapters in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, then Revelation. And I read six chapters in Romans through Jude. And so when you total those up, it comes, I think, to 14. Um, and so I read one in the Old, six in the Epistles, two in the Gospels, five in Psalms, one in Proverbs. And so I get Romans through Jude every month. Every month I get through Romans through Jude, Romans through Jude every month. I memorize the book of Philippians. I'm memorizing the book of Colossians. Um, my goal is to memorize all the epistles written to the church. Um, I read Proverbs and Psalms. But the new covenant, I'm living in the new covenant and my priest is Jesus. And um, the, the law that's specific to me is the New Testament, especially the epistles. I still read the old. I still learn about all the history and all that was established. I still learn about God's character, the book of Proverbs, Psalms. But I major on the epistles as the rules of life. The rules of life. Let a man look intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law of liberty, that's the New Testament. Not being a forgetful here, but effectual to it. That man will be blessed in what he does. That man will be blessed in what he does. So that was a little bit of a deviation because I just, I get this constantly, um, this teaching that's out there. And so understand the theology. We are under the new covenant. We have the Spirit of God living in us. And we have our own set of rules that were given to us by God through Jesus, through the apostles, primarily the apostle Paul. And they're recorded, and we follow them, we lead, uh, live them, and then God blesses us and use us, uses us. But false teaching, are they're, and some of the weirdest things are coming out. So you read the Bible uh, faithfully, and you will know what's true. You will know what's true. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that we would be disciples who read your word, study your word, memorize your word, live it. And uh, your word will give us life and will give us wisdom. And we will know how to live because of your word. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.